If you've been a part of Prairie Bible for any length of time at all, you know that I have had a love affair off and on throughout my life with cars. In fact, and sometimes it's been an obsession to me to the point that I thought, maybe I should be a car salesman. I thought, what? could there be anything better than being a car salesman if you love cars? Because you get to be around cars all day and you get to talk to people about cars. And um, For a variety of reasons, I've chose not to pursue that career path. Um, primarily because I think I was called to be a preacher. But secondarily, I was concerned that I wouldn't be very good at it. Because, not because I wouldn't be able to accentuate the positives of a particular model or car, but because I wouldn't be able to stop there. I would, in order to live with myself, I would have to also uh, tell you the, the things that maybe aren't so good about that particular model. Like it uses a lot of, you know, it doesn't get real great gas mileage, or it might use a little oil, that kind of thing. Um, probably wouldn't be good if you're trying to sell a car to be that transparent, right? Well, um, I've wondered, or I've realized, that I probably wouldn't be a very good salesman in general because of that. Um, as a matter of fact, as I was reading our passage of Scripture, those, for, by the way, if you are a uh, guest or visitor with us here at Prairie Bible, what we've been doing this year is we have been um, journeying through Paul's letters to the Corinthians. We take one chapter a week. We're just about to the end of it, as a matter of fact. And... Um, this week, as I was studying for the chapter that we're going to be looking at today, I realized I wouldn't be a very good salesman for the gospel either. And that's a good thing. Because you see, um, a, a lot of time what we do as the church is we think that it's our job as the church, or a lot of pastors do this too. We think it's our job as pastors to try to talk people into being Christians. Or talk people into the the benefits of what it means to be a, a, a follower of Christ. But that's not my job. And it's not your job either. You know what our job is? Our job is to tell people the truth. The truth about Jesus. And the fact of the matter is that there are lots of benefits that come from being a follower of Christ. But um, if we were truthful, we'd have to admit that there are um, parts of our calling that may not be so um, encouraging or so good. For example, this is the truth. The truth is, as a follower of Christ, if you have accepted Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, part of your calling is to suffer. Did you know that? As a follower of Christ, you, have been, you are being called to suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, most of us spend our entire lives uh, avoiding suffering, right? I know I do. I'm assuming you do too. Because that's just the logical way to, uh, uh, to perceive suffering. I want to stay as far away from suffering as I possibly can. But, um, and we as the American church in particular have done a very good job of avoiding the whole subject of suffering too. I have, as a preacher, I don't know how many, I, I, there haven't been very many times in my 35 years that I have preached on the truth, which is Christians are called to suffer for Christ. But you want to know what? The Bible doesn't avoid the subject at all. All throughout the Bible, God is transparent and authentic with anyone who is willing to 
having to be open to it, that as followers of Christ, you are called to suffer. I told you I wasn't a very good salesman. But it is the truth. Here's the good news. This morning, um, and next week, by the way, too, so please come back next week, even though I'm going to be talking about suffering next week, too, okay? But here's the good news about this. If we would choose, instead of trying to run away from our suffering, which is inevitable most of the time, but instead embrace our calling to suffer for Christ, it will change you completely. And you know what's even better? It'll change the world too. And I'm going to prove it to you today and next week both. Open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and that's on page 1,151 of, your, of the church Bibles if that's what you're using. Um, and let's dig in, okay? Um, as we move into chapter 11, what you will discover is that the Apostle Paul has shifted the, um, the emphasis from what he was talking about in the previous chapter. If you'll remember from last week, Pastor Billy, um, in chapter uh, 10, Pastor Billy lifted up the theme that Paul had for us in chapter 10, which was to um, defend against the spiritual strongholds that can hold us in bondage. You remember that? Well, as we move into chapter 11, um, the Apostle Paul moves from talking about defending against spiritual strongholds to defending himself. And here's why. Apparently, in the Corinthian church, there were these folks who had come into the church who Paul sarcastically refers to as super apostles. Alright? Super apostles. And he's sarcastic about it, but the, the reason why he calls them super apostles is because these people apparently were like, they had charismatic personalities, they, were, they exuded authority and demanded respect. And the Corinthians were all about that. In fact, they looked at these guys and they said, now that is what a pastor ought to be, as opposed to what Paul was. Paul apparently did not have a charismatic personality. He wasn't a great preacher. That's what he implies in his letters anyway. So when they saw these super apostles, they were going, now that, that's who we ought to be listening to and following. Now, the real problem with these super apostles wasn't that they had charismatic personalities or that they exuded authority and demanded respect. That wasn't the real problem. The real problem was, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, was that these super apostles were preaching a gospel that was different from the gospel that Paul was preaching, and he received his directly from Jesus. Remember on the road to Damascus, right? Now, the interesting thing is, if you were to put the gospel of the super apostles up next to the gospel that Paul was preaching that he received from Jesus, on the surface you go, well, that, that, they sound like the same, the same gospel. The Corinthians, by the way, weren't recognizing the nuance between the two, between the two gospels. But the nuance was so fundamental that they were literally two different things. The question is, what was the nuance that made these two Gospels 
different. Well, I can, I can illustrate the, the nuance by telling you a story that you all are already familiar with. Um, you all know the story of the Last Supper, right? Do you? Right, of course, at the Last Supper. In fact, every, every month here at Prairie Bible, we remember the story of the Last Supper as we celebrate communion. But the story of the Last Supper, communion is only a part of the story of the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, we know that Jesus was in charge, right? Jesus was the rabbi. He was the leader. And there was nobody in the room that night that questioned that. The super apostles would have loved that part of the story. You need to remember that. They would have loved that part of the story. The part of the story that they would have found horrible was the part, or is the part, that even we as the church today have a tendency to shuffle off to the corner about that night. You know what part I'm talking about? On the night when Jesus called together His, his disciples to celebrate communion, that very night, the Bible says that he took off his outer robe, which would have been horrifying to the super apostles in and of itself. It says he took off his outer robe and, he, and then he took a bowl of water and he got down on his knees and what did he do? You remember? He washed their feet. It was the ultimate act of humility. And the super apostles in Corinth, in Corinth would have been absolutely horrified by that. Why? Because they were all about a power and, and authority and respect. And, and the Corinthians were buying into that gospel hook, line, and sinker. So why did Jesus... Take off his outer robe, get down on his knees, and perform this ultimate act of humility. Why did he do it? I tell you, you put your finger on it right there. He was, he was actually imbuing the church. He was giving the church DNA that would change who they were forever. He established in that act servant leadership. Servant leadership. Christians are called to lead other people to Jesus. How? By serving. The super apostles were going, ah! They really were. They were freaked out. They, that, that whole idea would have just freaked them out. Now listen to me. What I'm about to share to you, this is the take-home line. You need to hear this. Why did Jesus do this? Why did, why did Jesus get down on his, his knees and wash the feet of the disciples in an ultimate act of humility? Because He wanted His disciples, He wanted you to know that it is a privilege to follow Jesus. But following Jesus will not lead to a life of privilege. Did you hear that? I told you I wasn't a very good salesman. But it's the truth. Following Jesus is a privilege. But following Jesus will not lead to a life of privilege. 
that is the truth. Following Jesus will lead to a life of servanthood and ultimately to a life of suffering. That very night, Jesus would be betrayed by a, one of his best friends, ultimate act of suffering. He would be beaten, um, whipped, which, by the way, leads us to our passage of Scripture for today. The, the uh, super apostles are horrified by this new DNA. And Paul is noticing that the Corinthians were buying into the super apostles' um, gospel more than they were buying into the gospel that Jesus gave us. And he says, so he looks and he says, you know, he makes a decision. He says, okay, you guys like power and arrogance. And he says, I can play that game with you. I got something to brag about. But instead of bragging about all of his worldly accomplishments, which he had many, by the way, he chooses to accentuate these things. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 24. You got it? 2 Corinthians starting, uh, chapter 11, starting verse 24, the apostle Paul brags about this. He says, you know what? Five times I was whipped with 40 lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Oh, by the way, I was stoned too. <laughs> you, you'll never believe it. Three times I was shipwrecked. And the list goes on and on. Keep reading. You'll find that he goes on and on with the suffering. Weird. Except that The truth is, following Jesus is a privilege, but it doesn't lead to a life of privilege. It leads to a life of servanthood and suffering. I'm going to let you in on another truth. Everybody suffers. whether you are a follower of Christ or not. Everybody suffers. You want to know why? Pretty simple, actually. It's because we live in a fallen, sinful world. You suffer because you're a sinner. And so am I. You suffer because the person sitting next to you is a sinner. See, sometimes the reason why you suffer is not because of something you've done, but because of what they do, right? Happens all the time. In fact, did you know that the Bible says that the earth suffers? In Romans 8.22, it says that the, the earth suffers as in childbirth, even up to this very age. Why? Because of sin. Things like earthquakes and fires and, and hurricanes. and the, That is the earth suffering under the weight of sin. And is there anything more hopeless than when a person suffers needlessly? There isn't. 
yet it's unavoidable. It's not quite right. Needless suffering is actually avoidable. I didn't say suffering is avoidable. I said needless suffering is avoidable. What God wants you to know today is that you can give your suffering to Jesus and He will give it meaning. Now, what He will do to give your, um, your suffering meaning, I don't know. Actually, I've got some examples and next week I'm going to give you, some, I'm going to give you a perfect example of how God gave meaning to suffering. But how He does that for you specifically, I don't know. But he, he will do it. The reason why I know that is because He promised that. He says all things work together for the good. Even your suffering. All things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. So, here's my question for you this morning. As, we, as you prepare to come forward to participate in the Last Supper and the Communion, my question is, are you suffering today? And the answer to the question from all of you, I already know what the answer is. The answer is one of two things. It's either yes I am or yes I have. Because suffering is unavoidable. The next question God is asking you today is, are you suffering needlessly? However, because that, my friends, you can't avoid. And the way you avoid it is by giving it to Jesus.